Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. Hello and welcome to the PR Show. I'm Arvind Hickman and today we're going to look at purpose-driven marketing. There's no doubt that purpose or social cause campaigns are all the rage in marketing at the moment, but there's a fine line between a brand genuinely supporting a cause and wokewashing. And do consumers really care? A recent global study by We Communications found that three quarters of consumers want brands to take a stand, but this can be fraught with danger. Last week, a senior Procter & Gamble marketer told PR Week that brands should not jump onto any old cause, and authenticity is the key. To discuss purpose today, I'm joined by Freud's, Freud's partner, Lottie Jones, and Blurred co-founder, Nick Govier. Uh, Freud's has helped clients run social cause campaigns for many years, while Blurred will only work with clients who are committed to the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. And joining us remotely today is a very special guest, one of the top global experts on purpose and sustainability, the one and only Sue Garrard. Hi, Sue. Hi. Gosh, what an intro. How am I going <laughs> to live up to that? <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. Now, many of you will be familiar with Sue's work as leader of Unilever's sustainability program and comms for many years under former boss Paul Pullman. More recently, Sue has been consulting with various businesses, including Headland. She also co-founded a charity called Blueprint for Better Business. Sue, would you like to tell us a little bit about your charity and what you've been up to recently? Yeah, great. Thank you. The insight about this is really very simple. Lots of senior business leaders were really very struck when the global recession happened about how it led to plummeting trust. And we've all read the uh, Edelman Trust Barometer. If you haven't, it's worth a read, which showed that basically the contract between citizens and most big institutions, but particularly banks and big business, was broken. And so Blueprint was really set up 
as a direct response with active support from FTSE 250 CEOs and chairmen to say, look, we didn't get to the top of running these big businesses to just deliver the profit margin and stay the right side of all the regulations. We want to leave the business doing something meaningful. And so Blueprint was born as a way of doing that. And the thing is, actually, most CEOs want to do the right thing, but it's massively more difficult to do than it is to think about. So that's really the insight into Blueprint. And I'm glad to say it's going from strength to strength, but it is very um, quiet in the way that it operates. So it's not aiming to be a big splashy name. That's not really the point. Okay, fantastic. Uh, That's a nice little segue to open the discussion. And to begin with, I want to look at the growing importance of purpose in marketing. Um, Perhaps um, I'll start with you, Sue. Why is this becoming so important in this day and age? Well, it goes, as as you inferred, back to the trust question, number one. It also plays to to the fact that people are really waking up to the reality of the impact that we're having on our planet, and that's a lot about climate change, but by no means only that. So, you know, the loss of bee population, what's happening with plastics in our oceans, it's a very long list. And basically, consumers want to be part of the solution. They feel that, again, big business is largely to blame for the problem, And they really want to be able, in a simple purchase, to be able to say, I'm backing a business that's responsible. And so there is a genuine demand. You talked about the research. All the bits of research say the same thing. Mm. And this, by the way, is not a trend that's going to go away. Consumers recognize their buying power. And I think increasingly will either lean in to support businesses that are very transparently trying to do the right thing and equally will boycott ones that they think are not getting on the bus and behaving responsibly. So it's critical time, I think. Do you think this trust issue extends beyond business? Uh, Some of the research that we've seen in recent times suggests that people do not trust governments, politicians and other institutions. and, And for that very reason, they're now looking to business to fill that void. Absolutely right. In fact, you'll be delighted to hear that one of the few things that actually went up, not down last year uh, was uh, journalism through uh, hard copy and traditional channels. A trust in social media and online titles actually went down as well last year. But there's no doubt it's part of part of a broader trend. And frankly, you only have to look at the things that are happening in the world and domestically right now to understand it. And what people are looking for are institutions in which they can place their faith to run what matters to them in a way that they feel is going to be uh, responsible and look after not just today, but look after tomorrow. Okay, Nick, I'd like to bring you into the discussion. Uh, Recently, Blurred made a pledge that it will only work with clients that aspire to some of the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Can you please take us a little bit through that decision, why you decided to go down that path? Well, it's actually related to our own purpose. So we advise loads of businesses on purpose, but we ourselves have our own purpose, which is depth in an industry categorised by the superficial. So Mm -hmm. we will only do things where we do it really properly you know we're not interested in having relationships with clients on a superficial level and hence why we end up doing a lot of purpose work it's the stuff that kind of matters so for us it's something we cared deeply about and environmental as an element of that so Mm -hmm. if we were going to 
be involved. And we, as soon as Greta actually announced the 20th of September, we Im- immediately, um, you know, posted that we were going to get involved with that. But for us, it, it would be superficial if we only did it on a base level. So we immediately applied our own criteria of depth to it. You know, how do we make this more meaningful? So it naturally led us to that um, play. So it, it's just about really being uh, true to our own values and the types of businesses that we want to work for. And, you know, what we'll do is we've got a couple of meetings in the diary of people who, you know, look slightly sketchy in that space. But if the meeting with us is because they're saying we don't know how to do this, help us, then we'll have those conversations and help um, take them then. But just to build on some of the stuff Sue said, I think what's key is it's not no longer a, a nice to have. Enough businesses have now proved that there is financial sense in being purpose-led you know truthfully actually we're even seeing that in our own business it's it's translating into the bottom line and also you know major brands that are leaning into it properly and not superficially themselves are seeing the upside and we're talking here about um consumer pressure but it goes way beyond that there's major shareholder pressure now you know we're being approached by chairman as well as um you know ceos saying i'm getting pressure from everywhere how do we now uh deal with that but ultimately it's it's part of the ongoing trend that, you know, it's about buying into a brand and not just buying from it. And that's what people want to do now. Okay. That's really interesting. <coughs> I, while we're on the topic, I'm just curious, have you done much due diligence in terms of how difficult this is for an agency like Blurred to actually do? Because I can imagine there will be a lot of clients that perhaps aren't quite there yet. Um it's actually very easy for a client like us to do this because we're fully in control of our own destiny. It's way mm. harder for, you know, a massive corporate, as in, I'm not going to name any of them, but the, sure. the big global networks where there's all sorts of shareholder pressure on them. But, you know, we're a business run by, you know, four founders who share the same ideals. So mm. it's very easy for us to do that. You know, we mapped all our existing clients against, we've mapped potential clients against, you know, and like we say, we're open to those conversations because if people are committed and know that they want to be better corporate citizens and they need our help to do that, then that's fine. If that's why they're coming to us, then that's fine. Sure. Lottie, um, Freud's has done loads of campaigns in the past um, for social causes. Uh, Where is Freud's at in terms of um, purpose-driven marketing and how important is it to your agency? Um. I mean, it's it's hugely important. Um, we um, were one of the founding players when it comes to the um, establishment of the global goals and as such have pivoted the agency pretty largely around them. Um, I mean, in terms of why it's a good thing, I think probably the main things have definitely been covered, profitability, and, and obviously it's the way that the trend's going. I suppose the only... The only addition I'd have to that would be talent, that um, actually quite a, a lot of corporates see this as making sense for them. Um, and and also, I sometimes wonder if the word trend is debasing it a little bit, that actually it sort of suggests that it's something flighty or fly by night. And um, prior to coming to this podcast, I was, I was reading around and I found a beautiful story about um, JFK, who in the 1960s went to go visit the NASA space station. I know the story, it's a goodie. And, um, and he saw a janitor sweeping up the halls and said, oh, sir, you know, sort of talking down to the proletariat. So, so what's your job here? And he said, sir, my job is to put man on the moon. And I thought that was such a sort of a beautiful and succinct version of what really purpose is about that, um, you know, the likes of Elon Musk have followed in the road by saying, you know, 
hundreds of people can work for hundreds of years for a cause, but not everyone will work as long for a corporation. Mm. And I think that it's, it's, it's largely not talked about, actually, how um, it's an attraction um, point for a lot of co- corporates as well. And I think that certainly, is, as Nick says, it can help with a lot of the big conversations you have to have in the C-suite about why this is a good thing to to do. And I think back when I first started, I mean, CSR was a dusty um, kind of department, an adjunct to corp comms, generally sitting in the corner by people wearing hemp and in possession of a lava lamp. Whereas now it's slowly migrated over the years to be, um, you know, sit at the table next to financial results and and heads of marketing. Mm. And I think it's, it's, it's a brilliant thing. I don't think we need to necessarily question why it's happened because the evidence is all stacked there but I think the thing that I'd always want to mitigate is talking about it as a trend because I don't think it does it any favours and and I don't think it necessarily bakes it into the future where it absolutely needs to be. Okay, that brings us neatly into our next section, looking at the current state of play. Um, Sue, I want to bring you back into the conversation. Recently, I think it was this week or last week, Unilever announced that it plans to cut its plastic use um, in all its products by half. Um, We've also had other major brands like Iceland pledging to get rid of palm oil in its products. Um, I'm just curious, Sue, in terms of the Unilever thing, firstly, um, because you worked there for so long, uh, whether you, what, what your thoughts are on its attempts to cut plastic. And, and secondly, why Unilever has been so market-leading for so long. What's, what's it doing right? Yeah. Um, well, what they've done this week on plastic is continue what they'd started, which is to say we're not going to wait until either consumers or regulators start making it impossible for us to sell our products because they're in plastic. We're going to tackle the problem itself. And I think that That sounds incredibly basic, doesn't it? But it's the single most difficult thing to do when you're running, particularly a big established business with loads of shareholders and pensioners depend on you for their fund and all that stuff. It's a bit like changing the wheel while you're driving driving the car, to use that slightly overused analogy. But having the kind of the energy to say, we know that actually we are uh, abusing the environment because until very recently, nobody had really focused on the impact of plastics. But about five years ago, Unilever set itself, who we were the first company to do it, some really very difficult targets about significantly reducing the amount of plastic, et cetera, et cetera. I won't take you through the technical details here. Because we knew that this was a growing problem and we knew that it was our problem. You know, it's called the packaged goods industry, right? Um And because we started doing that five years ago, uh, in fact, there are now over 200 other companies who pledged the same set of commitments through the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. But very simply, because we, if you like, had been building that muscle for three or four years, we're able then to say, right, we're going to change gear again, because we know that in the end, it's just not acceptable to keep pumping this stuff out when you haven't got the mechanisms in place to actually deal with it. And I just want to say one other minor thing, but very important on plastic. Plastic itself is an amazing um, product. It's got amazing properties. It's got a fraction of the weight of glass. It doesn't break. It isn't permeable, etc., etc. But nobody in the plastics industry really thought about what you do at the end of its life. And that absolutely has to get fixed. So I think what you're seeing there is once you start leading, which is what Unilever did, it's easy to carry on leading. Equally, 
if you're not really starting to tackle these issues now, whether your issue is plastic or whether it's carbon or whether it's water or whether it's slave labour in your supply chain, sooner or later, consumers are going to turn a spotlight on you and say, sorry, but that's not acceptable anymore. And then your business is in really serious trouble. And Unilever had a heritage of it, but it also had a leader in the form of Paul Pullman who said, we need to get on the front foot. And he created and stimulated a, an energy and a sense of commitment in the business that meant we could knock down walls, really. If you looked at what we did rationally on paper, you'd go, no, nah, there's not a business case for that. But of course there was, and we worked that out on the, on the fly. So I think you know, my advice to anybody listening to this is, if you're in PR, ask your clients what they're doing. If you're in the industry, recognize that sitting tight is not going to be a strategy for much longer. Okay. A little bit more on Unilever. Obviously, you had tone from the top, which is very important in any of these big changes. What were some of the other practical things that you did sort of across the enterprise to help really drive change? Yeah. Well, I think one of those critical things we did uh, was that we got our marketeers involved who were initially said, well, this is all very good and worthy, but, you know, I've got a brand to sell. And so I would say one of the mo- the biggest breakthroughs that we had was in working with the marketeers and then engaging really deeply with consumers to understand how and why they would buy differently based on how responsible a brand was. Um, and when marketeers understood basically what the what the business case was and how it could make their brand stronger then you basically got an unstoppable force within the business. And then I wouldn't say what Paul said was irrelevant, but we weren't dependent. From that point, it was like a self-propelling machine. And in fact, the tiny group of people who ran the kind of the core sustainability expertise in the in the central function were, were just mobbed with people in the marketing team going, can you tell me how you do this? And can you tell me how you do that? And I would say the classic example was palm oil. Because when Iceland said, oh, we're going to stop palm oil, it's evil, very, very quickly, NGOs like Greenpeace came out and said, oh, not so fast. Not all palm oil is equal. What you need to do is you need to buy sustainable palm oil. And here are the brands that have got it in. And most of the brands were Unilever brands. And that's because we'd invested upfront because we believed that actually the way palm oil was sourced had to be changed. And so we invested in it, and we believed that one day that investment would pay off. Now, you can say not every business has got the money. You can say not every business has got Paul Pullman. But equally, if you know that your business is succeeding off the back of some significant permanent environmental damage, you have to believe that one day there will be payback and that your damage, your business will be damaged. So, you know... Uh, it's about how you choose to run your business. Okay. Lottie and Nick, um, where are some other good examples of businesses or brands that are doing this really well? Lottie, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, for me, as, as as Sue touches on, there was a huge issue of materiality there that Unilever was one of the biggest packaged goods businesses out there. And for that reason, there was an obligation, if not a responsibility, to addressing the issue of plastic. And I suppose to bring that sort of outwards and looking at the industry, that notion of um, a link, although I loathe the word being authentic, but true and relevant to what the business does is the most important thing. I think one of the things that 
examples that I've loved and, um, you know, sort of to go beyond the sort of obvious ones to reach for, like Dove and so forth, would be um, a brand like North Face, Mm -hmm. who, in the wake of the Trump wall having um, been announced, launched their walls meant for climbing campaign. Um, And for me, it was so perfect because um, it, you know, it built on the model built by Nike with Run London and so forth. But... It was really true to what the brand stood for and has done for many years, which is outdoor sports. It was loyal to its investment, so it's carried on way beyond that one statement. And I suppose what else it touches on and elucidates is that difference between what purpose means in the UK or to UK or European businesses versus the US. So on the back of Unger, um, we ran Goals House out in um, Unger the other week. And what was really interesting was the disparity in the US and the UK, that for us, purpose immediately or nine times out of 10 leaps to climate change Mm -hmm. or in some way playing a role there. However, in the US, it is slightly more politicised and not quite, hasn't quite reached that point of always being a byword for climate change. And for that reason, I think North Face is is quite a perfect example that it lightly dances around the edge of highly politicised issues in a way that is relevant and again, I'm loath to use the word safe, but feels feels quite neat mm. for what it is they want to do and the audience that they talk to, high value items, quite a premium relevant. brand. Exactly. Um, so for me, I, I thought that was just a really lovely example of something that serves probably as strong on its purpose as it does on its marketing value sure. and actually continues to reward the business. So backing up all Sue's points about it ultimately leading to profitability. Mm-hmm. What about you, Nick? What are some examples that you've seen that you've really liked? I think we can all be um, fiercely agreeing with each other on things today, which is good. Before I say that, I think um, when we advise our clients about purpose, what we always come back to is past, present and future. Um, You know, I too dislike the word authentic because it's overused, but, you know, have we got credibility in the past? But equally, we really have to talk to the clients and go, but what about the present or what about the future? What What are you doing now? underneath you know as you said woke washing's nothing worse than this what's what are you genuinely doing what's the truth behind that now and and where will this you know end in the future or will this keep going and that's so key and i think an example i'll intentionally go non-environmental of something that i loved which is known for it but i think there's a reason why um was the nike colin copernic stuff mm-hmm. just because that is a classic example of knowing what you stand for and putting it out there. You could say it divided America, I would argue. America was already hugely divided. But what it did is to say to people, this is what we believe, this is what we stand for. Are you with us? And they said that in a kind of really brave and bold way. We did a talk on internal comms recently. Um, It's very much part of our proposition and and linked to that is purpose, you know. They probably had some resi- resignations at Nike around that, but they probably also had an ever more loyal you know, team of advocates as well as, as employees who were giving that a little bit more in their nine to five. And for me, that's just about absolutely knowing their why, why they exist, what they stand for. And it made me laugh, hoot, actually, at, you know, the fact that the share price went up and sales went through the roof of people buying Nike shoes to burn mm. them, you know. Oh the oh the great <laughs> irony of that and but you know it's for me that's a brilliant example of just this is what we believe we're going to upset some people but that's okay because this is what we fundamentally believe as an organization you know we've got heritage we've got proof of 
you know, in our past, this is something we're caring about now and there's a commitment to keep caring about that stuff in the future. So for me, that was just a... It was worthy of the praise it. Yeah, that's an interesting example, and it obviously was very well received by a lot of people, particularly in our industry. There was another recent example about Gillette, and it created an ad that um, attempted to tackle masculinity. Mm. Um, That didn't quite resonate so well with a lot of people. I think Mm. part of it was the execution probably was a bit clunky. Huge, huge part of that. Yeah, but but there was also other criticisms about the fact that they'd done this in the US and they hadn't done this same campaign elsewhere in the world and they were still running their old school ads about men having... Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Smooth, shaven faces and, and, and women touching them and that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I guess that sort of leads into about which sorts of brands and businesses should play in this space. Um, I imagine that there will be some brands that have natural fits in terms of purpose, but there will be others that don't. I'm just interested to hear how you determine that, which brands really should be playing in purpose and which ones shouldn't be. Lottie, I'll start off with you. Um I don't think there's such a thing as a brand that shouldn't be playing in purpose. I think it's which purpose they're choosing. And actually, on that Gillette example of the best a man can be, I, I, I didn't like the video. That said, the sentiment that sat behind it was, was rather perfect. Mm. Um, and actually, in terms of tapping into a cultural zeitgeist and, and really sort of coalescing energy in a positive way around the efforts of men to support in the wake of the Me Too movement was... Applaudable. It was. It was. It was a perfectly valid and, and valiant one. However, the execution uh, definitely led it down a somewhat sort sure, of schmaltzy way. If if if, the, if it is execution is poor, for example, and it ends up actually costing the brand more in terms of sales and that sort of stuff, is it then wise not to do it? Um, I think it depends on the timbre and the energy that exists in an organisation. I mean, you know, it's are you going to be perfect 100% of the time? No. Should we allow brands to fail in their quest to do good in the world? Yes. And actually, are we so sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, sort of unwittingly ignorant that we would think that's the best that they can do? No, probably not. And and I think it's important to view these things with the intention that sits behind them rather than necessarily critique the execution, by all means from a creative perspective. Mm. Um, But should that mean they never do purpose? Absolutely not. Okay, Nick, um, I was speaking to James Herring from Taylor Herring recently and he was basically saying that um, a lot of brands might be a little bit scared of being called out as hypocrites and there's this fear that if we're not 100% perfect, then we don't feel we have the right to play in this space. What's your response to that and those fears? Um, You've got to grow a pair, frankly, because <laughs> we live in a world where you have to have an opinion. You have to. Um, I wrote in that PR week piece that came out recently, you know, you just got to suck it up because purpose mm. is here to stay, which is definitely something we're all talking about. 
um, here. But but there is two things. Is a don't do it flippantly or don't do it in a shallow way. You know you've got to do it properly. We're working with a major major global brand at the moment and. The scope is extending and extending as they realise how significant this is. So you've got to make yourself as bulletproof as possible. Um, But equally, we live in an age now where honesty is respected and it is okay to say we haven't got everything right just yet. And in fact, we've made some, you know, mistakes along the way. But you do your homework first and you, you know, you ensure you know where the skeletons lie and where you're not quite good enough yet. Um, Because there's no excuse of just going out with something superficial and then discovering, you know, two weeks later that you've got a major problem in this area in your supply chain or, um, you know, an incident that might have happened very publicly in one corner of the globe. So for me, it's those things. Do your research, do it properly, take this incredibly seriously, but also be open and honest and say, you know, we might not have everything right, but these are the things that we're doing and that's the important of the present and the future as well. Mm. You know, this is how we're looking to improve what we're doing. This is how we're genuinely trying to change the world. And also I say to our clients all the time, it's not about you. It's not just about you. Yes, it's important that you believe these things, but what are you doing that is going to change the world for everybody else? Where's the action? So it's a a combination of... um, of those things, I think. Sure. So um, some of the examples that I've seen in the press recently that have sort of exposed a bit of hypocrisy, if you like, would be fossil fuel companies or oil companies, if you like, um, running these nice sort of campaigns about how they're investing all this these things in renewable energy, but behind the scenes are investing just as much, if not more money, lobbying um, against renewables. What is your view on, on how brands should enter this space and, and trying to avoid that sort of hypocrisy? Yeah, well, I think, I think it comes down to one very simple word, and that is intent. You know, why Why is the brand suddenly deciding that it needs to get purpose? Um, and the answer is that increasingly, it's not enough from a consumer point of view for a brand to deliver a core product benefit. That's kind of absolutely a hygiene factor. What people are looking for are for businesses, usually through the cipher of their brands, to make a positive contribution. That's really what purpose is, is a positive social contribution. And almost any kind of brand can make a social contribution, but it has to be relevant to what that brand is. And the reality is, to come back to the question that you asked, that Shell and BP are businesses that are, by the way, incredibly important to the economy. This is not a simple thing to fix, whose job it is to dig stuff out of the ground that we can burn. The problem is we've got a whole economy, global economy, built on fossil fuels that that is destroying our ability to live on the planet. Mm -hmm. And they are genuinely completely conflicted at a leadership level. Most of those big European-based fossil fuel companies, I won't talk about the, the US, which are rather more behind the curve, between delivering for today and planning for tomorrow. So... Is the communication that they're doing about planning for the future inauthentic, to use that slightly kind of polarising word? I don't think it is, actually. I, you know, the guys who run these companies are, uh, are not stupid and they've all got kids of their own. And they're, they've known the science on climate for a very long time. But they are absolutely the epitome of the, the, the tension between delivering business 
and profit for shareholders and lots of big pension funds and all the rest of it depend on that in the short term versus being able to significantly shift what their focus is to planning for the long term. And I know this sounds a bit pointy-headed, but actually in the UK, the, the duty on company directors, if you're a public company, means you have to put short-term shareholder interest first. And there's a big, big question mark in my mind about whether we shouldn't look to change that law. There are other countries in Europe, uh, France and the Netherlands being two very good examples, where the duty on directors is to act in the long-term interest of the company. Now, if you're an ore company and you want to be around for a long time, the first thing you'll be doing is thinking about what the alternative is to, to oil. If you're trying to deliver for the short term to shareholders, it's very, very difficult to balance those two. And, of course, all that oh, we're planning for the future stuff just sounds like a thin veneer because it's a thin veneer and they're still spending substantially more money on their core business now. They spend about 2% of their R&D budgets, a lot of these big companies, on planning for the future. But it's it's easy for us to criticise them. It's a lot more difficult if you're in the hot seat to make the transition. That's all good and well, but do you think these big oil companies should promote um, their renewable creds if behind the scenes they are then lobbying for the opposite? Well, if I, if I was running those organisations, I'd be doing it quietly rather than shouting about it because I think that they make it very easy for you to take pot shots at them. And you only have to look at what Extinction Rebellion do where they glue themselves to their people's front doors. So, you know, is it impactful and persuasive communication? In my view, no. Uh, I wouldn't be communicating about it, but I would be getting on and, and doing it. I think they probably, I'm not, by the way, I'm not advocating it. If I was advising them, I'd say don't do it. That's no doubt about that. But I suspect that the people that are advising them to do it, or the people who are failing to persuade them not to do it, uh, are being met by a force that says we have to show that we are doing something to plan for the future. So I, I imagine there are some pretty fraught conversations uh, at senior levels of most energy companies about that sort of thing now. And by the way, we singled out oil in this. But it's equally true for gas. Um, and, you know, there's masses of work going on uh, about completely replacing gas. You know, there's 25 million boilers in the country. And in the next 10 years, they'll probably all be running on hydrogen. So if you're in the gas industry, that, and that's a pretty difficult problem. Where, where purpose sits and all that is a, is a slightly higher order of challenge, I think. Okay. So you mentioned regulatory barriers or the regulatory focus being on the wrong thing, um, i.e. driving short-termism. What, what are some of the other barriers that um, companies, big and small, generally encounter when it comes to purpose? Well, it's really hard, like any, any really brilliant um, uh, marketing, to get right. They, they tend to be either very superficial in what they determine the purpose is, or they tend to define a purpose that actually isn't related to what their product or their brand is. You see that all the time. Uh, or they tend to do it in a part of the business, but not in really genuinely imbue the whole of the brand with it. We talked about Gillette, but there are loads of examples where you see that somebody in part of the brand architecture has had a go at this, but it's not actually deeply felt. You can see that where they have got something that's regarded as a good idea, but it remains tactical, and so, of course, that doesn't feel like it's genuine or permanent or comes from the voice of the brand. 
Um, and you can also see it where, frankly, there's, they're full of good intentions and there's lots of nice warm words and, and great uh, communication activity, but they're at the very start of a new programme and there simply isn't enough delivery, so it's just not credible. And I'm not going to name names, but I can think of several quite high-profile examples where big brands have gone out and started making claims about a positive social impact. And when you dig into it, indeed, you don't even have to dig, when you just click on the link uh, to, to find out more from their website about a program that their whole brand advertising is based on, you realise that actually it's barely out of the starting blocks. So these are really, you know, there's nothing special or fancy or technical about purpose. What matters is that that brand connects with a genuine issue for the long term that becomes at the heart of that brand proposition and that becomes the vehicle through which they talk about the role of that brand. And that requires good vision, very high EQ, a connection with what the real social issues in the world are. And that has to be about heart as well as head. And to be honest, most marketing people would would really do themselves a favour to get out of their marketing bubbles and go and have a personal identification with the issues that they're building their brand around. Okay. Nick, how do brands avoid woke washing? I think Sue's just actually pretty much covered that off there. You've just got to do it. You've got to do it right. You've got to do it properly. You've got to link something directly to your business and brand properly, which is mm. why I talk about the past, present and future. You know, commit to something long term where you get in trouble, where it's very, I get really frustrated around pride. Is a, That's a perfect, brilliant example of where we always see woke washing, where someone's gone, oh, it's pride in three weeks time. And it probably is literally three weeks before that they think about it. What can we, you know, what can we do here? And that's where... Um, businesses and brands get into trouble because it's like, oh, really? So what are your policies? You know, how do you deal with those issues? If you're a service um, business, how do you cope with potential, you know, problems, you know, d- directly with things like that? Um, <clears throat> so that's why people have to, you know, l- if you're going to lean into your purpose, it's got to be true, right and long term. And mm-hmm. I think we're all, you know, like, as I said, fiercely agreeing and backing up what um which other what each other are saying, and that's fine to get involved in pride, etc. If if that clearly links back to your um, business and brand's history, but just doing it because you've had a great creative idea, you know, frankly, those brands deserve the, the backlash they get. And we again talk to our clients about the need to promote and to protect, and they often come to us thinking, "Oh, this is all about promote. You know, this is all about like let's get this stuff out there, isn't it brilliant?" And it's like, "No, no, my friend." Trust me, no um, no campaigns uh, kind of attract more criticism than purpose that campaigns that are not done properly. So you have to balance those two things really, really carefully. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add, Lottie? Um, no, I mean, look, it's it's all been covered off. I think I think what's interesting for me are those um, particular brands that take the spirit of purpose and run it through a multitude of different campaigns. Um, uh, when I think of one, I think of Lush as an activist brand. And um, we've talked a bit about whether 
whether companies have to do it well in order for it to be effective. And they're a brand who is eminently prepared to fail. Um, they've had lots of campaigns that have been great, but equally, you know, they've ended up in court over a handful of them. Um, and that hasn't stopped them. And I think that integrity and, and, as Sue says, that intent to be a disruptor and an activist brand has served them really well. So I suppose it's, yeah, it's dogmatically sticking to what it is you choose, making sure it's credible. Um, and, and you know, will serve you well into the future. Okay. I definitely want um, to discuss a little bit where purpose should fit within an um, enterprise. Is it, is it something that should be owned by a specific discipline or department? For example, should um, comms um, have ownership or leadership of it, or should it be somewhere else? Um, and also, what, what is the role of agencies in all of this? Uh, Nick, I'll start with you. Um, that's, a, that's a big old question, and I guess from my experience... It can come from anywhere. Mm. So we talked about Paul Pullman. But sometimes there is very clear leadership where people have decided that this is the right thing to do for a business. But equally, it, it can come It can come from anywhere. Um, it can come from often, you know, say a sustainability department or it increasingly could come from the finance department as people look around and go, hold on a minute, look at their share price they've become purposeful and look what it's happened. So I think it can actually come from anywhere. But it will only succeed if it's truly embedded across the business. That's mm-hmm. the absolute key and, and critical um, point. And every discipline covered on the board, um, an operational board, Exco, you should be able to see, so through supply chain, through marketing, through sales, through operations, through everything, should it, it cannot be kind of skin deep. And with agencies, that's really interesting because, again, we're having on a couple of things we're working on at, at the moment um, where major, major campaigns are being purpose-led, campaigns are being led by advertising. And we're having to go in and go, hold on, this isn't about advertising, this is about, you know, depth within the business. Mm. We need to roll things back. And I think naturally it does sit better within our discipline because because we've come from, you know, decades of pray, not pay, you know, from journalists, I'm talking old school now, you know, where they wrote about what they chose to write about, you know, the social world, etc. So we naturally think in terms of the risk. And that's so important. You know, you've got to balance. Yes, you've got to have great creative, but that is 10% of what this is all about. It's got to be embedded through the business and we've got, and our job, what we're good at doing our discipline, is once it's in, been embedded in the business and obviously we can help with that, is ensuring that we're going to protect and promote with equal measure to ensure that you don't end up with a situation like you know we saw with um, what's the example we just talked about uh, with Gillette, you know. Mm-hmm. Now that, like, I totally agree with Lottie. The sentiment behind it was right. It just felt like an ad that was created by AI. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like artificial mm-hmm. intelligence had just scanned loads of stuff and plonked it together. But the sentiment behind that was was right. Um, but, but what were the proof points behind it as well and, and ensuring that the entire package is presented? 
Mm. Okay, Lottie, do you have any thoughts on that? Where should sit? Yeah, I mean, I sort of go back to one of the points I made originally, actually, which is when I first started working in MPL many moons ago, so late 90s, early 2000s, I remember um, CSR was, you know, such a far place from where comms sat. You were lucky if you could kind of get at it and, and you know, you were lucky if you did a CSR report once a year. I mean, for me, the big moment was Larry Fink's publication of his letter in January 2018, where he essentially called out to CEO across the world to take note and start putting it at the heart of the C-suite and, and, and boardroom discussions. Um, you know, and, and it was interesting, actually, I'd caused to read the letter um, the other day recently for a piece of business I was working on, and it's very qualitative. It doesn't necessarily talk about profit, although it alludes to it, and it doesn't necessarily talk about corporate citizenship in such oblique words. It talks about passion and um, and doing right by the consumer as much as right by the impact you're having on the world. And actually, it's quite a sort of lyrical letter. And and in that sense, I think, you know, go back to one of the points Sue said there, that if you're lucky enough to have a really passionate CEO, um, then, you know, how fortunate for you. However, I think that personal experience and, and being out in the field for people to have their passions ignite means that really it shouldn't sit with an agency, nor should it sit with marketing or content. Or, or even the CEO, it should be something that the whole organisation and every individual around that boardroom table feels that they have some part to play in. Okay. And employee, actually, and that was the point I was saying about internal comms. It's like, as, you know, you've got to have every employee living that. Um, because, you know, that's your point about the, the NASA story. It's like everyone, people, people want to work for companies that make a dint on the universe. You know, that's I'm a Steve Jobs quote, you know, people gave extra to Apple because they felt they were contributing to something more than just making money. None of us are inspired as employees just by adding another zero to more zeros than we can, you know, currently possibly understand. Mm -hmm. But if as employees we get that business's why and what it's doing and it's contributing to the world, that's hugely motivating. And that also has a huge effect on the bottom line. Okay. So I'd just like to bring you in um, now in terms of where it fits into um, an enterprise, where, where you think it sits best, if, if, if there is a, um, a place for it. And, and and maybe some final thoughts on the future of, of purpose-driven marketing and, and where you see it heading. Yeah. So... Um my view is that uh, it has to be owned by the whole of the executive team because a purpose only becomes a purpose if it drives the strategic choices of the business, right? Otherwise, it's tokenistic. So if you've got a purpose, um, it should then drive how you hire, what deals you do and don't do, what your R&D is. It's, it's not just about... Uh, a, it shouldn't be uh, about a single brand. It should be something that is core to a business. And I think increasingly in future, consumers are just going to not tolerate businesses that they see are not trying to pay a plot, play a part in building a, a better world. God, we desperately need it. And, and there's really a very sharp distinction. You're, if you're a business that isn't genuinely purpose-led, then you are basically a money-making machine. It's as simple as that. It is that stark. And you just talk to anybody who is running a financial services business or uh, any one of those professional services, they are really struggling with the quality of people. Why? Because the younger generations are saying, you know what, I want my life to have meaning and that's about purpose. So uh, I think that all the forces mean that businesses will be obliged 
to one way or another, either they will fail or they will understand that it's actually much more motivating to to run an organisation that is trying to do something very positive in the world other than basically sell stuff. But they won't do it if it's not owned by the organisation. Uh, and they won't do it if the purpose... You see, you see my dog agrees with it. Uh, if, <laughs> the dog agrees. just a strap line. The purpose has to have a plan behind it. And that plan has to have numbers and targets. And everybody in the company needs to be incentivized and remunerated on whether they deliver it. And if you get that right, it's like magic. And if you don't, well, good luck to you. Fantastic. We're going to have to leave it there. Um, Thanks so much for your thoughts today, Sue. Um, Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Lottie. Um, I'd like to thank our production partners, Marketeers, and thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review. 